what is helpful sometimes about a structure or a template or an approach to something is that it can help you where you don't have to be thinking it all the way through yourself. The downside of it in this case, where you look at a structure like this, it misses the opportunity for me to organically say, wow, this is a really interesting kind of event. And I love the conversations that are happening. If anything, when I'm really down with the content, I'm going to want to go deeper with it. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. It is our one year birthday episode, y'all. Ba-ba-da! Thank you for being here. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the powerhouse known as Pamela Slim. Pamela Slim is an author, community builder, consultant, and former corporate director of training and development at Barclays Global Investors. She focused her first decade in business on creating and delivering training programs for large companies such as HP, Charles Schwab, 3Com, Chevron, and Cisco Systems. Since 2005, Pam has advised thousands of entrepreneurs, as well as companies serving the small business market, such as Infusionsoft, Progressive Insurance, Constant Contact, and Prezi. Pam partnered with author Susan Cain to build and launch the Quiet Revolution and the Quiet Leadership Institute. Pam is best known for her book, Escape from Cubicle Nation, which was named the best small business and entrepreneur book of 2009 from 800 CEO Read. It's also a personal favorite of yours truly, along with her follow-up book, Body of Work. Her newest book, The Widest Net, just came out in October this year. And in 2016, Pam launched the Main Street Learning Lab in Mesa, Arizona, a grassroots community-based think tank for small business economic acceleration. Pamela Slim, author extraordinaire, fabulous person. Got a question for you. What do small business owners need to focus on this week? This week, look for your peanut butter and jellies. If there is one thing that's going to give you some good recurring reverberating business next year, it is to look for partners who may work directly with your very favorite clients, but in a non-competitive and highly complimentary way. So for me, for an example, as a business coach, every day I work with intellectual property attorneys, graphic designers, virtual assistants. Find those people who are working with folks you love, get to know each other, and that can be a great source of referrals in 2022. Heck yes, it absolutely can. Because every day I work with money mindset people and web designers and copywriters and bookkeepers, right? And those people are aligned with me also in terms of the way that I want my clients to be treated. And I believe that they are in line with my ethics and values. And and what's really great about that 
is because I'm sort of vetting people that way, in addition to their work being good, it makes that referral and that partnership exchange so much easier because we actually know each other. Yes. Like we've actually sat down and talked and we've had real discussions about, you know, the parts of entrepreneurship that we feel like get glossed over and the parts of this that are really hard and the way that we would want to navigate customer service issues and a million other things. So yes, I and I love that you call it peanut butter and jelly partners. Or what was the thing you said at Chi Podcast that you make for your son's friend? The, oh, sunflower, sunflower butter and jelly. Sunflower butter and jelly. For the nut allergy community of which I never <laughs> want to leave anybody out. And I'm hyper aware of my son's best friend who just moved away on his own for the first time at 18, which is really amazing. But he spent really the last seven years in and out of our kitchen. And so yep. I really learned a lot about having allergies and wanting to be metaphor friendly, even if it's just a metaphor. There you go, everybody. Metaphor. And I think that's great. I think inclusive metaphors are lovely. <laughs> I tend to mix mine, so I Same. might get a little complicated, but, you know, but I think, I think people are hesitant to jump into partnering and I'm not saying starting a business with that person, but yeah. partnering, doing a list swap or, you know, co-speaking or, you know, I go talk to you or you go talk to me or we do a podcast swap or whatever. I feel like some people understandably are hesitant to jump into that for a variety of reasons. Maybe it's imposter syndrome or maybe it's a trust issue. How do we kind of get people around that hesitation and say, look, you cannot grow your business alone. It is hard. And I think one of the reasons why we get stuck is because we simply go to tactics first, like just saying, hey, let's trade podcast episodes. Yeah. When you back up fundamentally what you want to do for your audience, which is very belovedly nurtured and like yeah. painstakingly thought about over the years. I know for my newsletter, I'm actually, I think I'm going to start a podcast again. I had one for years, Escape from Cubicle Yay! Nation, related to my old book. But I think I'm going to start a new one finally, again, which I loved. But I've had my newsletter list since 2004. Yeah. And I really do have a personal relationship with folks there. I put so much time and energy into writing. I've had so many deep conversations. And so when we just look at something like a business tactic, especially with somebody who I don't know, and we're saying, hey, let's just do a list swap. Mm -hmm. I'm like, whoa, like, wait a minute. <laughs> who are you? No. What's your point no. of view? Yes. What do you mean? Like, we, we need to be centered. I'm not just going to unleash you into my, like, nursery. Yeah. Right? Because to your point, that's been, that's blood, sweat, and tears earned. That list has been nurtured. That was incubated, right? And then not to mention everything that we do to get people onto the list and all the things that we do to keep them on that list. Right. So yeah, if some rando off the streets, like, hey, give me your mailing list. Listener, please say no. Please say no. Please say no, because these are real human people. This is not that so much of what we talked about in marketing tactics is just this transactional looking at numbers of lists. I, yeah. I will not go under a tirade and a rage right now. Do it. But a small one, <laughs> whoever is teaching these methods of like creating an online summit and reaching out to completely unknown people and saying, you must have a list of a minimum of 5,000 people and you are required to send three lists in a row, you know, three emails in a row to your list. I'm like, dudes, what? This does not make any sense because there's no discernment. 
It is not, that's the way that you completely burn out a list when you're really not thinking about how am I looking to the world and bringing the very best to them. There can be a situation strategically where you say, yes, if I'm going to invest a lot of time and energy into getting to know somebody and where we really look at how we can help each other grow, let me make sure that it's somebody who's also putting in work to cultivate, you know, a rich community where there, there might be, you know, good connections. And there are different reasons. First of all, one of the things I tirade about is that a lot of people miss when they're only saying, I'm going to work with people with lists 5,000 people and above. There are some amazing creators that are just beginning to come on the scene. My list is under 5,000. I'll tell everybody right now. I've been in this game for a billion years in different lanes of the game, but in this game for a billion years. And my list, for myriad reasons, yeah. is some of it is neglect. Some of it is just I didn't prioritize it as much yeah. as I maybe should have. But also, my list is pretty freaking discerning. I yes. call that thing intentionally. And so, yeah, if I see something that says must have a list of 5,000, my social's off the chart. My people actually read my emails. Yeah. My open rates are fantastic. But my list is not 5,000. Right. It's not. Right. And good for people whose it is good for people who have 50,000, 500,000. But I make good money with a small mailing list. That's right. Right. And so but I am excluded from a lot of that stuff. And then those same people turn around and go, hey, can I be on your podcast? And I'm like, no, (laughs) you can't. She says with a slightly bitter and judgmental tone. I know with all righteousness. No, I mean, and it just I'm not dissing people who are trying to do tech concrete things to market their business and get exposure. We all kind of look at there and grasp for what's going to be helpful. What is helpful sometimes about a structure or a template or an approach to something is that it can help you where you don't have to be thinking it all the way through yourself. The downside of it in this case, where you look at a structure like this, is it's really, first of all, I think it's kind of antiquated in the way that people actually maybe organically share. If I'm going to be sending three individual emails just about this one particular summit to my list, when I have first of all, so many connections and so many different partnerships, like that's way too much. Yeah, that's a lot. And it misses the opportunity for me to organically say, wow, this is a really interesting kind of event. And I love the conversations that are happening. If anything, when I'm really down with the content, I'm going to want to go deeper with it and maybe do my own post about it and, you know, share. So it just, the, the transactional parts of that are so damaging. And I think it's hard for people who are in the midst of it. And then people can find where they might have a really gigantic list, but it's people who are simply looking for some also transactional results. Like, what have you delivered to me lately? I want my stuff. And not people who are like, oh yeah, I remember you before you had kids. Like, I remember that tough emotional time you had back in 2006, you know? And those are the kind of people that I want to have ongoing relationships with. Well, and I love that because... I recently had the pleasure of hearing you speak again at She Podcast Live, which I've talked about on the show already. But the first time I heard you speak Hmm. was in 2011 at the World Domination Summit, which is insane because I was like, wait a minute, this is like 10 years to the day. Bizarre. But all that going to say, like, you have staying power in this world. A bajillion businesses are born every single second. I call it the great lemuring. We all just kind of jump off the cliff into doing this. But you are not new, Pam. Mm -mm. I'm not calling you old. Oh, you can call. I have earned every 
55 years that I have on my yeah. birth certificate. Yeah. I've been in business 20, 25 years now. Yeah. That's freaking unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And so most of my listeners, a couple of my listeners have just taken the the leap and I'm not calling y'all a lemur to be nasty, everybody. I'm just saying a lot of us take a pretty precarious job, but most of my listeners um, have been grinding for a while. Yeah, They're in their, they're approaching their first growth phase. If they're not already in it, they've gone through some pivots. They've obviously weathered the last two years of COVID ridiculousness. Mm. So like, what are some of the keys that you have earned that you don't mind sharing about staying in the game? Yeah, I'll share it all. To me, the, the key is for my work, both to maintain a real passionate interest and also to make sure that what I'm offering is something that's relevant is we have to really be following the journey of our clients and those people who it is we're doing the work for. To me, everything Mm. is always Mm. centered on and I, I did write a book about this, but it's your body of work. It's it's your it's what you're <laughs> creating, what you're contributing to the world. And it just is the lens. As soon as I just thought about it that way, it made so much more sense when sometimes the way that we're that we think about business and we think about also what visibility means and, and about staying relevant, it can feel like, ooh, I just need to make sure that I am like present and I'm looking cute. And oh, okay, I need to dance to 90s on TikTok, which I love. My teenage daughter won't let me do. Um, but I love to <laughs> I love to watch TikTok TikToks. Oh, come on. oh my God, I know. I, I respect her. At teenage years, I'm like, it's okay. I, I, I can I can it. handle that. It's hard. But um I will still probably have some business content produced on there. But anyway, like (laughs) you can think, oh, I just make sure that I'm like, oh, you know, and like all the the latest topics, all of that needs to come from the actual work that you're doing day in and day out. So I know for me, what has always stayed current with me is following my clients and literally going in the early days from being in a corporate job and leaving to start a business where I worked specifically for a lot of years with people just on that little gap of just helping them make that leap to where they're in a solid, viable financial state. Then as many of those same clients ended up growing their business over the years, then I'm like, oh, okay. Then they get to this stage where they're trying to really narrow their focus and be more deliberate and build a solid body of work. And then it's like, oh, and then then they need to find a broader audience for it and they're scaling and they need to know how to do that effect- effectively and efficiently. So to me, the, the part of staying relevant in the world is, are you contributing something yes. that is helping to solve the problems of today oh. for the audience that you care about, which can change over time and that's okay. That last thing you said about problem solving just hit my heart like romance. It just felt mm. so good because I'm obsessed with problem solving. And and that's what I teach that all of this is, right? Your marketing is problem solving. Your selling is definitely problem solving. And so, you know, getting in tune with that that growth, it, it keeps them around because they know that you have more for them. Yeah. Right? It keeps them around because they know that you're growing with them and you understand the challenges of that phase. Like one of the things that I love to say is new level, new devil. Right. Because I'm the first person that'll tell you that entrepreneurship is freaking hard. And anything that tells you that is lying. It's hard. But Big lie. When, it is hard. Yes. And just when we turn around and are like, oh, I hit this new frontier. I killed this goal. I did my summit. I whatever the heck. 
right? We're like, cool, now it's going to be wildly easy from now until retirement. Uh, <laughs> no, then like to your previous point, we get to that next phase and then we got to hire somebody or we get to that next phase and then we got to fire somebody or we decide that we really do need to trademark everything or, you know, we get audited, whatever the heck it is. It's, it's increasingly hard. And so if we're looking at that life cycle of those upcoming challenges, it's not just entrepreneurship, right? Mm -hmm. if, if you're a doula, that person's going to have a kid soon. So how can you serve that kid? It is so true. It's so funny. It reminds me, I think I used this example in Escape from Cubicle Nation. When I got pregnant for the first time with my son, Josh, who's now 16, how in the hell that happened? I have no idea. But I remember I, somebody recommended a service called babycenter.com. So basically you put in your due date at that site and it gives you a weekly email that says, here's what's going on in your uterus right now, <laughs> you know, and then here's probably like yeah. what's happening with the development of the baby. Here's how you might be feeling. And it's so smart. I used it as an example of really linking with the concrete experience. Now you can't always have something so connected um, right. as, as, you know, the timeline of having a baby, but it was just a perfect example of content that was absolutely customized to the situation that the person was in. And then over time, I think they ended up extending it out where it's like, now your kid is one and then two and then three. I actually met the woman who's good friends with a friend of mine who did the content for Baby Center. And I swear she thought it was as if I had met John Legend, you know, like it was like, what you did content for baby center. I mean, I feel that same way. Right? I, I mean, was that's like damn good content. What? When I meet a copywriter for something like that, like Oh my god. I met one of the people that does uh Slim Jim's Twitter and Slim Jim's Twitter is hysterical. Yeah. And I was just like, "Oh, I feel like yeah, I feel like I met a celebrity." No, I was just like my my decade is made meeting that person yep. who did that content. So that that's the way I think that that it works. It is trippy. The part that is mysterious and trippy, I will tell you, I'm living at this very moment because <clears throat> when you're in that moment of really going deep in your own business and really creating intellectual property or like creating models and things, we've been mm -hmm. way deep in the lab here. Here I'm in Mesa, Arizona. We have a Main Street Learning Lab, which of course COVID, you know, we were all safe and quarantine, but in general times, it's a community gathering spot where we've just have done tons of local ecosystem building, community building. And it's like really, I went deep in that world and then wrote a book and just was not really tuned into some of the other, like, what are the trends that are happening in the online world? I'm like, yeah, I know that Bitcoin, whatever stuff is happening out there, but whatever. And, and I'm like, when I'm ready and when I have some time, I'm going to like, check it out because it's just too much to do all the time. What's so weird, so trippy is now that I've actually written a book that really is based on a framework of mm -hmm. a building community and in many cases, very in-person and very organic online, very human model of it. I've been now listening to a bunch of podcasts. My friend, Brian Clark, who founded Copy Blogger and who now has like seven figures small. I love his podcast, love Brian. And they're doing this whole series on Web 3.0 and, you know, crypto and oh God, Bitcoin, all this stuff. And it is so aligned. It is so aligned with what I've been working on. I, it was like, oh my God, I had no idea. And that, that 
the model that I'm talking about, there's a lot about decentralization, com- yeah. how community is the center of everything. We really need to understand our values, build communities based on, you know, values, have shared revenue. And transparency. Huge oh God. transparency. So, I mean, there's a part of it where I'm like, this is just weird. This is so, it's wonderful. I'm so thankful. But it generally has been the case where you're really honoring what actually are people struggling with right now based on what's happening in the world? That's yeah. where you are going to create content that ends up being really relevant, you know? And I'm having the same thing. Like I wrote Escape from Cubicle Nation back in 2009. Now we have the yeah. great resignation. And I'm like, y'all, yep. pretty much exactly what I said in that book is what I would yeah. say now. They're like, why is this happening? And I'm like, I told you a long time ago. It's not new, boo. You didn't pay it's attention. Not new, boo. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love Escape from Cubicle Nation, and I cannot wait to read Widest Net and and all of these things. But I I got to tell you, your first book, your beautiful baby, that you know helped and changed so many lives, is on a list of books that I call the title books. And what I mean by that is books that people think that they know what it means and think that it's encouraging to do something, but then they haven't read it. And on that list is Escape from Cubicle Nation the four hour work week and the hundred dollar startup and the desire map and a whole bunch of other stuff that I'm like, y'all, the four hour work week is not about working four hours a week. That's right. It's not. That's right. You got to read the damn book. It's about efficiency and essentialism and processes and consistency, right? Escape from cubicle nation is not about fucking off your day job because your boss is crabby and you feel like you could do it better on your own. And it certainly is not about getting what I call sand in the laptop. I hate this shit. <laughs> I hate this shit. I love like that I, phrase. Anytime I see sand in the laptop, anytime I see that in a Facebook ad, it gives me hives. I'm like, eh, you're gonna, like, what are you doing? Like, something good. Like, it's, it, we've talked about this so many times on the show. I'm always ranting about sand in the damn laptop, but like, y'all. Ocean air plus a grainy substance near your moneymaker is a bad plan. That is so true. Yeah. I want like a book by sand. That's the only thing, right? Some kind of trashy romance novel paperback is the only thing that belongs at the beach. And I, I nom up marketing and business and entrepreneurship Same. books like they're my breakfast, but I'm not even reading that on a beach. Like you said, like I want a bodice ripper ridiculousness. <laughs> I either that or like some kind of terrifying murder book that I can go read in the woods. Like exactly that is my ledger time. But I, I, I don't go to the beach to work. I mean, I live in Chicago, so I don't go to the beach for much, but I definitely don't work on the beach. So what are some of the things that you think people misunderstand about entrepreneurship, about Mm. going off on your own, about escaping cubicle nation? What are some of the things that you, uh, because the book does not perpetuate any of this bullshit at all. It doesn't. And yeah, and I'm so happy that you noticed that. I feel like I feel seen. I do because <laughs> it, it, it's a good thing for anybody who's writing a book right now. A reality of writing books is that very rarely do people actually read them. Like a lot of people just go off riffing off the idea that's in the title or subtitle or maybe read a chapter. So it actually is really important when writing a book to know that, that some people might just be digging in for a bit of a concept, but part of your job as an author is to really describe it. Because when I was writing Escape, 
I had one main objective and wish for the book, which was that people would read it and they would either say to themselves, oh, wow, I thought that it was completely inaccessible for me to work for myself. And now that I know exactly what's involved and what to do in what order, I think I might be able to do it. And then for other people, I wanted them to read the same book and say, oh, I thought this was all staying on my laptop and money just flowing into my account when I drank margaritas. Like we're talking real work here. We're talking saving and financial planning and putting myself out there and and heartbreak and agony. Like, I think I want to make my job work or maybe have something else happen. Right. Yeah. Like that. Change careers. Yes. Go to a different company. Right. But I, I think that's so totally spot on too, because I, think that entrepreneurship is wonderful. And I love the way that the book shows. For me, Escape from Kilo is a book about possibility, yeah. right? It's like this, you have not been taught that this path exists and this path exists. And here's how you take it if you choose to take it. Yeah. And here's the ecosystem around all of that. And I think that that's so brilliant. But then people come and they're like, ah, I think I'm just going to go off and start my own thing. Okay, well, what are you going to do? I don't know. I'll be some kind of coach. And I'm like, do y'all realize that this is a job? Like this is a a job. And mm-hmm. so I had this woman who wanted to be like a lifestyle coach for people in RVs. And I thought, God, that's cool. Like that's a huge thing, especially now post COVID. Mm-hmm. And this woman wanted six figures, you know, by next Tuesday. And when I gave her her whole, you know, plan, her whole appeal, and and she's got a high ticket offer. I said, okay, let's get you on some discovery calls. Let's get you on some sales calls. And she's like, oh, I don't want to do calls. And I said, okay, well, can you do like an event? Can we do like a workshop to invite people to? No, I don't want to do that either. Okay, well, you're going to all these different RV parks. What about in-person events? And she's like, no, I don't want to do that either. And I'm like, okay, so you literally want to do no work. And you want to make six figures for doing no work. Do you understand that what you're proposing to me is doing no work and making good money? How do you expect that to occur? We are not a Kardashian. We don't get paid to exist on this plane. Like, girl, what? What? And she came back and was like, thank you very much for all of your advice. Like advice, girl, I gave you strategies, but okay. Thank you very much for all of your advice. I will not be taking any of it. And I said, okay. And in my head, I said, thank you very much for not wasting my time by taking me on as a client and not doing anything I ever tell you to do. And good luck not having any money. Like, come on, people. It's a job. Entrepreneurship is a freaking job. One of the things I said in Escape was that hating your job intensely is not a business plan. And so when you you have... There could be a desire for entrepreneurship and the benefits, the long-term benefits of entrepreneurship, which for some people could be flexibility, could be multiple streams of income, et cetera. Um, But it is in order for it to be a viable business, you have to have some type of product or service that is providing real value in the real world. And you have to have people who are willing to pay money for it that are not just your you know, relatives. And you need to have a consistent way that you get clients over time. And it is, it, it is, it's where I get crabby, grumpy, you know, in, in my mind, because let me tell you, there are some smart, younger folks, whippersnappers said with actually great, like appreciation, admiration, you know, and joy. I, I have been amazed sometimes at looking at how smart 
folks who have less years on earth are when it comes to entrepreneurship and setting up really intelligent business models where they're like leveraging like Google search and setting up, you know, products. And I'm like, what are you talking? It's taken me decades to get to the point where you are. Like, it is not about the amount of time that you've been on earth or the fact that, you know, you provide a certain kind of service. There are people who are doing really cutting edge work to be efficient in how it is that they're making money. But I tell you, those same people are putting in the work to set things up or they're bringing some of their unique and special gifts that either they were born with in terms of a perspective and a strategy or work habits where they're really willing to put in, you know, the work to build something. Um, Or they have money that they invest in order to like hire a team to get things done. So it's not to say that, in order to make money that it necessarily takes a whole bunch of time. That's not, I know that's not what you're saying and that's not what I'm saying. I've had similar experiences that can be so frustrating where it's like, I don't want to do anything at all as the business owner, but I just want to see the results. And I know for me as a business coach, it can feel frustrating and it's just, it's never going to be a good fit. It's not a good investment of money because I'm never going to be the person. It's just, it, it's impossible. Like you have to do some work or you have to hire an entire team to do the necessary work for you if you want to have a viable business. And you can't even jump straight to that because you'll know absolutely nothing about your domain, your clients, their needs, the problems you solve. You yeah. just skip over all of that extremely essential R&D yeah. because you want to go get sand in your laptop. Don't do it, y'all. No. Don't do it. But you're right. I think the next generation, like all these little Gen Z babies, like come out of the womb with funnels. Oh my I'm God. amazed. I'm amazed. I didn't have a funnel for years. I, I mean, I told you my mailing list is still under 5,000. I have funnels now. I didn't then. I also used to be like, I'm a creative. I don't need to have systems. Y'all. Right. Dr. Phil's oh, one good God. question. How's it working for you? Yeah, not, not, (laughs) right? Like it's not, but it is now in terms of like, I had to put those legs underneath it, but, Mm -hmm. but I just love that, that we're having this really candid talk about this because I'm not trying anytime I talk about like living the dream, not feeling like a nightmare or any of the stuff that I've said in the past about it. Or, you know, when I wrote the book series, entrepreneurship sucks. um, I'm not trying to dissuade anyone. I'm just trying to set realistic expectations Mm -hmm. so that when it is hard, people don't think they're doing it wrong or that there's something intrinsically wrong with them. Getting rejected sucks. Having unsubscribes in mass sucks. Having haters come at you on your YouTube videos and say, why would I listen to a fat girl talk about marketing? That sucks. It sucks. Damn trolls. Yeah. But you know what? Sodas sitting in a cubicle with somebody who pops their gum also sucks. Right. And so one of the best things I ever heard was choose your hard. Right. Like Mm. being a being a full figured woman is hard. Losing weight is hard. Choose your hard. Mm entrepreneurship is hard. Cubicle life is hard. Choose your hard. And I just think that that's so freaking key. So before we transition, um, I do want to ask you about the work of the new book, about finding those peanut butter and jelly or sunflower butter and jelly (laughs) partners um, out there. Uh, How can we, how can we branch out and stay in our own lane? Yeah. The basic model that that I've been working on and that that I put into this book is it just it 
you can think about it conceptually of the difference between traditional business advice, as we've been talking about, that's generally pretty transactional, which is the empire building model. So you talk about business in terms of an empire, you want to build an empire, you want to dominate people, you're, you have fans and followers, you're really looking for people just to look at you and follow you, and you're positioning yourself as the sole expert who has the answers to all of the questions. Like, if you do, bless you, because nobody does. And <laughs> it's really hard sometimes, like, but a lot of empire culture, there's a lot of just let me hold on to the power that I have. And it actually speaks really directly to our earlier conversation of like, you're trying to stay relevant just because you're positioning yourself. You're spending all of this energy and just making sure that you're positioned the right way, as opposed to the framework that I've been working on very deeply in the last number of years, which is you put your ideal customer in the center of a natural ecosystem where, by the way, they already are. Anybody yes, I've ever worked with, are. they already are. Anybody I've ever worked with, first of all, they've worked with other business coaches who are amazing, who don't suck, who I don't have to, to diss. I'm like, oh my God, you work with that person. That's amazing. They will yep. work with other people in the future, but they also yep. work with a lot of other service professionals. They listen to other podcasts. They go to events. They use software products and services to run their business. They have this whole ecosystem of people, providers, product services, that help them to solve the problem that they want to solve. So to me, I say, you know, for us to understand our market, there are huge watering holes, places in person and online in those, these ecosystems where if we're strategic and we say, ooh, okay, all of my beloved ideal customers like love this one podcast or they all go to this event and they rave about it. Let me go all in in my annual marketing plan to make sure not only do I show up there, but I speak there and I have something very specific to contribute because within the ecosystem where there are all of these other people who are helping our clients to solve problems. When I'm in my lane, when I'm talking about my particular expertise, and I we use the term thought leadership. I, I hate that term, but I don't know. We don't really have a replacement for too. it. I don't know. It just feels weird. But but it's when you think when I define thought leadership, it's just what is your particular point of view about how you think your ideal client should solve their problem? And so, you know, as an example I'm giving here, I say, let's not talk about transactional empire building culture and just look at people as numbers and just try to dominate everybody and just make ourselves, yeah, bleh, right? My point of view is it's all about the ecosystem, right? Let's look for peers, partners, other people aligned with our values who are solving a problem. But then in the way that you show up in that ecosystem, that is where you share your point of view. And that's where you can be really clear and loud and proud. You know, in my, in Escape from Cubicle Nation days, that was me. I'm like, hey, so many smart people are talking about starting a business, but I have a unique perspective as a 10-year management consultant in hundreds of companies to understand corporate culture in a way that probably a lot of these startup folks who have never worked in corporate never will. Like nobody could tell me that they know corporate life better than I did. I mean, people who had been in it for a long time, but you know what I'm saying? Like that was my whole 10 years of traveling the country, having deep personal conversations with people in corporate. I know that market. So when I'm talking about leaving for corporate employees, that was my particular take within that ecosystem. So, well, because you have that knowledge that becomes the lens, right? Yeah. So, like the way that you look at a corporate environment has x ray vision compared to the way that I would look at it. Yeah. And the way that I look at a sales page, 
I apply that x-ray vision because that's my world. That's where I am. I know what all the tips and tools and tricks are on that page. Or if I don't know what it is and I like it, I try to reverse engineer it and figure out what's going on there. Right. But that's because years and years and years and years and years of training and focus and talking to entrepreneurs and doing all these things have taught me what to look for. Yes. And, and that's, that's earned. We all earn that on the job. Yeah. Whereas I look at a sales page like a really questionable ex-boyfriend and I very quickly try to run the other way and like hope that he doesn't see me. Right. That's how I feel. That's why we all need each other. Right. That's why like, I, was gonna say, next I time need you. Just you. Call your girl. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You just call your girl and exactly. I'll just fly to your side because sales pages are my favorite, but we'll get to that some other time. But okay. So public accountability, when is your podcast going to come out? Huh? That's, that's a good question. Okay. I I'm thinking top of the year because, um, what I've learned is that I'm an extremist. And so whatever I do, I usually go all in, but also I want to be really clear with this one. It will be called the widest net because it is the name of the book. The book now opens up because it's such a big method and it has so many components what I wanted is a place where I could be talking about all kinds of topics over a long period of time that are really engaging that I could go deep on and I can have different series about. Because like I could talk all day, every day about community building, building a business, partnerships, nuances, like just all day forever. What I have this amazing partner here in downtown Mesa. Now this is so cool. And like, I had no idea but there's this place called Salt Mine Oasis Studios, which is a literal five minute walk from me, five minutes. If I go out my front door, which is right in Main Street, I cross the street and go around the corner. This is a studio where Justin Bieber, Ludacris, Alicia Keys, like Ariana Grande have recorded music. It's a state of the art, amazing like music studio. And I love the team there. I recorded my audio book there and I've been here for five years and I'd never been there before. And I was like, okay, That's actually what inspired me. Because at this stage, I'm like, I am not messing around with like audio software. Like I want to have a professional (laughs) team. So if I'm doing it, I want to have that team at Saltmine doing my audio. And so probably I also want to get some kind of a partner or some kind of a sponsor partner just to help and make sure there's a really direct alignment. But you know, it's so, so, so I, I'm just not going to jump in so that I don't have like the resource and the structure to, to get going and be consistent. Yeah. You're being you're being strategically cautious, which I love. Yeah. Which I love. You're doing it right. You're taking the time to do it right. Well, I can't wait. I just can't wait. Even though I just said, yay, good for you for being patient and doing it right. I am very impatient and I want that show now. But what I can get now is the book. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But before I have to ask you a question that will make my father, Pete Passanisi, lover of visibility, so freaking happy, which is Pamela Slim, queen of all entrepreneurial things. What the heck does any of this have to do with John Legend or as my daddy calls him, Legend? Legend. Well, Papa Pete, I don't know you, but I love you already. I to hear that you too <laughs> have been a lifelong John Legend fan. Oh my God. Yes. Here's what it has to do with it. First of all, let's just clear this up for the record. I am happily married. I am not romantically interested in Mr. Legend. So get your minds out of the gutter, people, right? Why is that the first place that people go? Not that he was sexiest man alive. Also, I don't want Chrissy Teigen to fight me. Seriously, she would win. I do have a black belt in mixed martial arts. But yes, no, Chrissy, I love her. I would not want to mess up her flawlessness. I'm not not going, I'm not, I'm not shitting in that house. No, exactly. No, no. no. So it never has been in that way. 
I've always been a fan of his music. What fascinated me, and I've actually written about him for years, and I he was a lead chapter in Body of Work. Uh, every speech that I give, I always mention him clearly now, just about every podcast. What's so interesting, first of all, is he had his own Escape from Cubicle Nation journey. He was a management consultant at Boston Consulting Group, and he was a very introverted um, the person who worked on early stage pharmaceuticals and doing like Excel pivot table analyses. How do I know all this? Because I wrote about it on my blog, Escape from Cubicle Nation. I wrote about him and I had people who worked with him who responded in the comments who I followed up with. There was this woman, Jane, who since left and established her own amazing, fabulous uh, set of nail salons. But she was like, oh my God, I used to work with John. And he was the nicest person. He was so quiet. He would have his headphones in. He would hum softly. She had no idea that he was even a musician. In the evenings and the weekends, can we say side hustle? He was going and recording with um, Lauren Hill, with Kanye West, right? He was doing all of this work. And I've heard him describe it now. He kind of talks about it more commonly. I found in the early days when I first was writing about him, he wasn't really talking about that part of his journey. But he really had that same journey of being in corporate. And and he's a genius too. He's a salutatorian. He graduated high school at age 16, like a super smart guy. And what I've loved about his own body of work throughout the years is he, like me, is very passionate activist. He loves social change. He supports very specific initiatives. Do you know, like he was the moderator for, for TED education, yeah. like for TED ed. He has long-term relationships with education institutions. He's done a lot about the, you know, school to prison pipeline. He speaks up clearly about Black Lives Matter, you know, within his own community. But it's interesting to me that, and now speaking of pop culture, right? Like, are you kidding me? The Voice, all these collaborations with like super poppy Megan Trainor, you know, Christmas albums kind of thing. So anybody who is not too damn cool to do pop music is my hero. I'm like, I love the deep analytical fight the power social change person. That is my person. And if you can do that and create a catchy Christmas pop tune, that's, it's everything to me. It's just everything. I also really respect how his activism is not performative. It's very genuine. It's very real. And there are some celebrities that you're like, do you actually care? Like, it's kind of like 90s with like saving the whales. It's like, did anybody actually save a whale in the 90s? Did that actually happen? Or did we all just talk about it a whole lot? (laughs) But, you know, there is that genuine action, right? He's not just, it's not just lip service. He's on the ground. He's doing it. Yeah. But he also, he's consistent and he's vocal and he doesn't, I mean, I'm sure he, his agent or whatever will be like, John, could you not be so outspoken? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I love that he wears his values on his sleeve because you can enjoy his music and not agree with his politics, but you can also enjoy the music and feel good about enjoying the music because you look at the man behind the music and you're like, I believe that you are a good and noble and honest person, John yeah. Legend. I believe that you walk your talk. And and that's just fabulous. And he has the voice of an angel. Oh my God. Can I say, I went and saw him in concert. See, next time I'll bring Pete with me. But this was, I, I paid $600 for this ticket and it was so worth it because this year... I celebrated 25 years in business. I turned 55. We celebrated five years of our Main Street Learning Lab. And I'm like, 
I am giving myself a big birthday present. So I actually went by myself, which was really fun. My husband is amazing and wonderful. He's not really, he's, my husband's a traditional Navajo healer. So he's not like really into John Legend's music, not his thing. Um, And so I'm like, I want to go. And I did the up, you know, close and personal. Like we had a smaller group meet and greet. It was so worth it. Can I just say, and I know it's a lot of money. So I, you know, appreciate it was a big investment, but what was so special about that? Because we can all have our experience with with celebrities, right? Like the, our view of who it is that we think they are. What was so neat of just seeing him in a much smaller kind of environment where there was folks who were in the audience and then being really close to the stage. It was actually the closest I've ever been on, you know, to the stage. Mm-hmm. The vibe was so good in that space. And I noticed and I'm like, oh, okay, I see another reason why I love him because the audience was completely spanning the ages, right? Your your dad, mm-hmm. Pete, who we hear is somewhere in his 70s, right? Me in my 50s. Yep. I sat next to the cutest kid who was 20 years old <laughs> at his very first concert ever. Oh my God. And he was there by himself and we had the best conversation and he was just vibing and loving it so much. It was completely diverse people from all different ethnicities, sexual orientation. You know, it was like the feeling in the room was just so beautiful. And I'm like, okay, like love the man, love his work, but look at this community that surrounds his work. And that to me is why he's like the total package. I I had had this, I had actually brought, because anyway, if we had three hours, I would tell you all the near misses, but there have been many times where I literally nearly met him. I, we both, we both spoke at the same conference in Florida. I knew the event planner. We had a meeting set where we were going to meet and I had just written body of work and I was going to give him, cause he's in the lead story in one of the chapters. I had a book, I had handmade Navajo, beautiful beaded artifacts that are, I had handmade for him and Chrissy. So it was a whole thing cause it was all planned and it was happening cause his you know, but then the last minute, like they weren't able to make the connection. And so I had the book and the gifts and I wrote this little scrappy note. Exactly. And I'm like, it didn't happen. But like, so through the years there, I I was on a plane, I was speaking in Nashville. I get on the plane, I sit next to somebody, we're talking. I'm like, what do you do? She's like, I'm a makeup artist. I'm like, oh, cool. Who's your audience? And she's like, oh, I work with musicians. And I'm like, you didn't happen to work with John Legend, did you? And she's like, oh my God, I just did this last week. Like, do you want to see on my phone? Like, it's like that. But you know what? Now it's to the point where it's really fun because I just figure, first of all, if I just keep yakking about him everywhere and it, where there's really no pressure, like I would rather it be for this show because we did like a photo, but there was COVID rules. I had the book, which they didn't let me bring in. So I had a whole note to him which I understand I want him to be safe. He has little kids, but like yeah. I wasn't able to do it there, but it feels like every, every time there's one step closer. And I think what's probably going to happen is I'll be like sitting somewhere in, you know, New York at a cafe and like, I'll just see him and hopefully sit down and have a long conversation without scaring him. Well, I, I am scary when I'm around <laughs> celebrities. I am scary. Uh, I mean, you are a celebrity to me. And so like, I, I'm, I, I have a picture of me with Liza Minnelli where my face is purple and my face is covered in snot because the second Liza Minnelli said hi to me, I burst into what can only be called like an emotional tornado featuring the most mucus to ever come out of my face. Like 
what? And then they're like, picture time. And I'm like, ah! oh so, my yeah. God. So let's try not to scare John Legend. But I want maybe this show, maybe this show will be the connection. I feel that like it Chrissy takes. listens to this show. I actually feel like Chrissy is going to be our secret, you know, slip into it. Cause it's like, if Chrissy, she says that he should meet me, I feel like he will. So Chrissy, if you're listening, I love you. And Chrissy, please talk to your you. man. He needs to talk yes, to me. And and also you can come, you can come <laughs> on down, Chrissy. You are amazing and a badass bitch. And the entrepreneurial lesson of Chrissy Teigen is owning up to your previous mistakes. God damn. Yes. Humility. What a rough ride. I know it's rough. And, and I mean, like it's tough. Oof. Yeah, but she did. She owned up to it. She didn't gaslight anybody. She didn't shove it under the rug. She said, yeah, I did some nasty shit. Yeah. And I need to make up for it. And I think one of the other tucked in entrepreneurial lessons in there is that you spent $600 on a ticket, but you said it's worth every penny because of that community, because of that level of service, because of the level of care and the expectation of a wonderful, unforgettable evening. Y'all, you are worth a $600 ticket too, if you're standing in your greatness. So if you are going, wow, that's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Pam admits it's a lot of money, but it was worth every dime and you can be too. All right, Pam, I got two more questions for you. The first one, since we know that this is going to be, you know, somehow direct to the ears of Chrissy or of the man himself, the man, the myth, the actual (laughs) legend. That was Uh, a good one. All right. Okay. Thank you. I, I, uh, I've been doing this a while, you know. Um, all right. Give me a one minute direct to John Legend appeal. What do you need him to know? John, I love you. I love your work. I followed you for so long and I am super fascinated to know how do you think about the body of work that you are building, you make such interesting choices in terms of how you choose your music and what organizations that you partner with. I would love to sit down and just get your perspective about what are the bigger issues and problems in the world that you're looking at solving? What are some of the ideas and collaborations that you have? And how do you see how these pieces fit together? Because I feel like there is a strategy. I think that there is. I don't think it's haphazard. And um, one of the things that I'm really good at is just helping to think through ways to make interesting connections with strategy and maybe find some new opportunities. So if you've got the time, so do I. Stop by the Learning Lab. John. Come on, John. I got the couch over here at the Main Street Learning Lab. We have an entire wall of whiteboard. Like, I really want to work on some of these bigger problems in the world with you. And a state-of-the-art recording studio just down the road. Make it a two for I'm John. just saying. Do you know he actually performed at the Mesa Art Center, which is one block away? So it's like, he has been to downtown Mesa, Arizona. Enough with the near misses. Come on, John. <laughs> right. For reference, what is your favorite John Legend song? I will say a new one that is not even out yet and he sang it in the concert and i was literally weeping it is called stardust he wrote it for chrissy so like massive weep or she said you know he's written like all of me i i do love all of me but it he said this was really her favorite song and what was so weird and cosmic about it is it, it really, it, to me, it feels like it, it really is the soundtrack behind the spirit of the book, The Widest Net, which is all about, you know, my hashtag is we all need each other. And it's like, we are made of stardust, you know, like it exists in all of us. And it, I actually shared it. My, my bonus son, Jeff is an artist. Um, and he, I always commission him to do a painting for every book. He's an amazing 
amazing artist. And so I actually sent him, somebody, a fan had done a recording of the song because it's not out yet. It'll be released next year. But I sent him the song because I'm like, the emotion and the metaphors and everything that John's singing about is exactly what I feel about this book. So Jeff is doing like a visualization of Stardust and traditional Navajo animals. And it's this whole clear thing. But so I love it. I was literally weeping. Like as he was singing it, it was just that moment of like, pure beauty and just love and connection. And it was just so needed, you know, after we've all been isolated and wanting to destroy each other for a long period of time. We really do all need each other. Yeah, we do. That might be the most true hashtag I've ever heard. Yeah, we do. We really, really do. So if people need you, Pam, and they want to get into your net, what's the best way for them to do that? First of all, it's a safety net, not a fishing net, just so you know. So I'm not trying to trap you and drag you in. It just means if you're in my area and you fall, we got you, right? Our community has you. Important metaphor. Metaphor definition there. But uh, you can find me at PamelaSlim.com. And right there on the homepage, I do have a brand new book, which I'm super excited about. At the time of this recording, it came out yesterday. So this is a tells so many love letter and stories about work we've done here locally to build our thriving community here at the Main Street Learning Lab, work I've done with amazing entrepreneurs around the world. And uh, I'm really proud of it. It gives a a step-by-step method. If you are interested in building your business in a way that's highly relational and is built on like having fun and having collaboration with other people. Before we got on this podcast, you were saying like, our conversation should be like, we're Monday morning in a co-working space and we're like jamming out on ideas. That's exactly how I love to do business. And so it's really a model based on that. And that's really the best way. And in the next year, I'll be doing a lot more group cohort-based classes. One of the case studies I featured is maven.com, which is my friend Wes Ko that co-founded it along with a co-founder of Udemy. And it's more of a cohort-based model where a lot of the learning is done in collaboration. So there's a lot more smaller conversations and breakouts. It's so cool. And I'm just, I'm kind of ready at this stage of my, my own work to, to get out and do more group classes. So if you jump on my newsletter list on my website, you'll get all the latest updates and, uh, I'm everywhere on social too. LinkedIn's probably a good place. If we just kind of want to get to know each other professionally, reach out and say hi. Oh my God. I actually get to say this. Mm. Pamela Slim, all of me (laughs) loves all of you. And it has been a huge honor to sit down with you today, have you on the show, celebrate your new book and get to pick your brain. Thank you so much for all of this. Thank you for having me. And, and I hope this uh, episode is uh, Papa Pete approved. That's my oh, goal. He'll love it. <laughs> hey, wait, hold on. Say the word visibility and he'll lose his mind. Ready? Go. It's all about visibility. Oh, that soundbite was just for you, Dad. Everybody else, I will be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for the week, which is not for you, Dad. You're retired. Go do something else. Well, hey there, listeners. Happy frickin' birthday to us. I had suspected that I loved podcasting for a long ass time, but no amount of warm fuzzies could have prepared me for how hard I love making this show for and with y'all. Today, I am freaking filled with celebration of a milestone I never knew I craved, a body of work I'm continually proud to share, 
a year partnering with the incredible Andrew Sims, who I actually got to hang out with today, a growing listener base, the chance to shout out my show's biggest champion, my own daddy, and the chance to interview one of my personal heroes, Pam Slim. And even though it may not be something as major as your podcast's birthday, your homework this week is to do some big-ass celebrating and to encourage your ecosystem to do the same. In the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy, I start each and every group call with what my clients call forced celebrations. Yes, you must share. Yes, you must brag. Yes, you must say what you did right, even if you're there to bitch and moan. It is not freaking optional. Why do I do this to the clients I love so well? Because I know how easy it can be to fall into the rabbit holes of missed expectation and disappointment or the admin minutia we all get bogged down in. But when we stop to celebrate, we honor the hard work we've done and strategically double down on creating more of it. Plus, selfishly, it helps me know what paths are most profitable and enjoyable for my clients so I can continue to prioritize it with them. Magically, but not surprisingly, it also fosters a lot of peer-to-peer sales within my community as the others hear about all the magic their other folks are up to. This week, I encourage you to celebrate something. Have a very merry unbirthday to your business. Buy yourself a cake and Instagram it if you want. But the critical recipe here is this. Number one, freaking tell people you are celebrating a business win and do not apologize for it or tone it down. And then in the very next breath, number two, ask your ecosystem what they are celebrating and really encourage them to tell you, respond and share in their shares. Not only will this get that good feeling flowing, it's also a wildly easy way to find out all the cool shit your peeps are up to. Hello, collaboration. Hello, partnerships. Hello, momentum. This way, you're actively casting Pam Slim's widest net and you're doing it with an infectious, joyful bang. Hey, thanks for listening. Too Legitimate to Quit is brought to you by the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy and me, your host, Annie P. Ruggles. Listen, we talk a lot about marketing on this show, and that's because I fully, earnestly believe that every dime and every moment we spend marketing is totally worth it unless we turn around and sabotage ourselves at the finish by refusing to sell and sell beautifully. Why? A lot of us have a misconception of what selling actually requires of us or who it needs us to be. Please give me the opportunity to help change your mind at www.nonsleazy.com. That's N-O-N-S-L-E-A-Z-Y.com. Big shout out to the fabulous dudes who helped make this show what it is. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My composer, Riley Herbastio. And my show artist, Francois Vigneault. They're all fabulous and I'd be glad to introduce you. Until next week, just do your best and remember, you're too legitimate to quit.